everyone, welcome to another episode of the Modern Golden Age Podcast. And today I have with me the own and only Brandon Goon. Brandon, thank you so much for coming to the show. It's a pleasure to meet you and talk with you. Sure, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, that's okay. So, Brandon, I want to start with um, a little bit of your um, journey throughout education. So the first thing that you, you, you share in almost all of your um websites and, and social media profiles that I found is that you dropped high school when you were 16. So I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of um, a, an insight of on why did you do that? What was about school that you didn't like it? And also like, how did you move past that after uh, just having dropping out? Yeah, so I guess I always really didn't like school throughout my entire life. Like most kids, I mean, sitting there for uh, six, seven hours a day um, against your free will is, is not really the best way to spend your time. Uh, so yeah, I always didn't like it, but I, I remember by the time I was older, uh, by the time I was in high school, I had these very specific things I wanted to learn. I, I wanted to learn about product design, I wanted to learn about coding, I wanted to learn about um, you know, what built products and how those companies came to exist. Um, and yeah, that, that's how I spent a lot of my free time outside of school. Um, I was always constantly learning stuff, um, and school was basically preventing me from doing so. So, you know, I thought it was sort of weird that the entire purpose of this place and going here, there every day, uh, was to, was to learn things. And that's exactly what it was preventing me from doing. So I said, yeah. you know what, I should probably just drop out. Yeah. So where did that came that clarity on what you wanted to do came from? Did you had that since you were young? Was it something like was it a specific company or a specific entrepreneur that inspired you? Like how did that come about? Yeah, I think I remember um I mean this is sort of an abstract answer, but yeah, I I remember um when I was about like 3 4 years old, I looked behind the TV for the first time. Um, and I remember seeing uh, wires and cables behind the TV and that there was so much more than what's in front of you and that, you know, somebody else put that together. Somebody had to invent these cables and somebody had to invent uh, the wires and the TV and that the TV didn't just didn't just put things on the screen. And I also remember thinking like, wait a second, my, my friends also watch SpongeBob and they also watch Blue's Clues. So they have this too, um, and it's not like it's just sitting here in this box alone. There must be something that makes that happen. So that that sort of sparked this this whole belief on on the world was sort of made by people, and that you could you could engage in it and you can play a role in making it too. Um, yeah, so that that sort of sparked my curiosity, and then I remember uh, that curiosity extending to computers, um, and I remember. Uh, Apple products and the iPod Touch coming out and being so fascinated by the iPod Touch and, and the screen that you can directly manipulate that got me interested in design and imagining forms of computing that, that couldn't have been possible before. Um, and then I also loved Legos as a kid. Um, and yeah, Legos sort of sparked that sort of abstract thinking and, and putting things together type of, type mm. of thought process. Um, and eventually, like over time, uh, that love of, of creativity and abstract thinking and technology um, and design over time um, sort of became these these career interests uh, that school was leading. Yeah, 
and great and, and you were just mentioning before we started recording that um when you dropped out like in the first months you didn't do much right but walk us through that process so you you're a 16 year old you, a teenager you just dropped high school like what was happening in your mind and how did you turn that into your first uh company yeah i remember i was sort of um i i dropped out and i i remembered at the time I remembered what it was like to play as a kid. That was sort of, I, I sort of thought thought back to myself, like what was my favorite time in my life? Um, right after I dropped out, I asked myself, what was my favorite time in my life up to that point? And what I remembered was being three or four years old and playing. And I remembered being eight years old and being in aftercare and having the bin of Legos and building Legos. And I remember this sort of feeling of play And what I thought to myself was that everything I have to do um, for the next couple months has to feel like play. If I sort of took this leap, I have to make sure that I make good use of it. And I truly enjoyed it. And, you know, the toys um, when you're 16 are no longer Legos. They're no longer uh, toy cars. They're no longer, uh, I mean, they are pencils and paper. But yeah, like basically... Yeah, it was the ideas around the world. It was all the things on the internet. It was all the technology I can dive into and all the knowledge that that would bring me as well as, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the pencil and the paper. So, yeah, I just spent the first three months reading a lot, watching TED Talks, watching interviews. Um, yeah, YC Startup School wasn't out at the time, but I remember they started creating content on YouTube, so I spent a lot of time watching that. Um And then I also like designed a house and stuff like that on like, I just spent time drawing a house. Um, mm. and yeah. And then I guess after the first three months, then I was like, okay, I guess I should probably start doing something towards my career more specifically. Um, mm. and then I started doing branding for local businesses. So yeah, I would just like get in touch with local businesses that needed some sort of graphic design work or they needed a website done or they needed a video made. Um, and I would do that. Nothing really amazing, sort of like pretty mediocre stuff. Um, mm. But then I guess what I what I learned from that was like the basics of managing a project, uh, being accountable, um, setting goals, selling a service. Um, yeah, and just like finding ways to be taken seriously. So yeah, yeah, that was that was what I started doing after that. And then yeah, I was sort of bored with that, and but but I learned a lot, and I remember. I sort of thinking to myself, well, how, how did I learn so much? Um, mm. Yeah, reflecting on that and realizing that the projects were really teaching me a lot. Um, and then, yeah, that, that sort of kicked me off into learning about project-based learning and then led to my first company, Be Anything. Yeah, so so I, I really want to talk about that. It's so funny because I, I connect with you in the sense that Uh, when I was when I was 16 also like I, I was doing this professional course on music and we like we had this very different high school approach basically uh, which is something very unique actually uh, and it doesn't happen that much here in Portugal but basically we were just trying to be musicians and what would happen was we, we would have these classes where we would be evaluated um, based on a, a real concert that we did so we had to go through find different bars try to sell our music to the bar owner organize the event, organize everything and then play. So we would think about these kind of projects. And I remember like, I, I didn't notice how much my entrepreneurial mindset was developed there. Um, like, I, I, I just noticed like after a bunch of years when I look back and realize, well, 
yeah, I, I, I have an easy time selling this product because when I was, I, ever since I was 16, I was trying to sell something. So that's amazing. Besides selling and, and just managing uh, the, the, and understanding that you, you actually learn um, well through, through projects, which we'll get into, like, is there any more uh, or any different skills besides those uh, that, that you developed in, in that process of, of um, exploring? Um, hard skills or soft skills? Both. Both. I guess hard skills was, um, yeah, I learned the basics of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript just by creating these websites. Um, I remember for the videos, um, I worked on, yeah, I sort of learned, you know, narrative format and storytelling. Um, and then I guess like through editing those videos, I, I learned, um, you know, a lot about content production software and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, when it came to designing things, I guess I learned a little bit about brand positioning and um, how brand positioning affects something such as color, typography, and sort of standing out and, and all that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, there was, a, there was a lot to learn when it came to the hard skills. When it came to the soft skills, um, I, think, I think one of the most... Uh, like, I guess, like, you wouldn't find this in a curriculum anywhere, but I guess when to end a meeting. Um, mm. That was probably my favorite. I remember sort of doing these proposals with clients and sort of talking to them, and then they'd get all excited, um, and then they'd get skeptical, and then they would get excited again, and then they would get skeptical again. Um, but every single time they get skeptical, the level of excitement that they will be after goes down. Um, mm. so sort of think about it as like, a the, like the X axis is time and the Y axis yeah. is the level of excitement. You sort of want to go up to that whole raising excitement, raising expectations, mm. let them be skeptical for a moment, let it go down and then let it go mm. back up again, but then end it there mm. because every single time you're basically going to lead yourself yeah. to just want to keep the meeting going on longer. So that's, yeah, I guess that was like one soft that I still use to this day. <laughs> that's that's a great that's a great soft skill to have so because we all know that that meetings sometimes uh take just way too long either with clients that why either with, with with teams so uh i i love that and, and let's focus in on on project-based learning so you realize that you learn better through um through projects and you realize that that was a thing like project-based learning like how did you come up uh with, with the idea of just creating a company around it and, and explain to, to, to the, the listeners, like what do be anything, uh, what, what you guys did. Yeah. So it actually came from, from a sort of moment I had, I was working on a project and, you know, it just sort of was like, wow, like it's sort of weird. I, uh, I've learned all this stuff and nobody ever really sat me down and taught it to me. It, like, isn't that weird? Um, but isn't that what school was supposed to be for? Like there must be something going on here. Um, and I went into my Google search history to sort of see when I learned what things. Mm. Um, and then I sort of noticed that there was a pattern in my searches and that they were all sort of clumped together. And the things that the sort of things that I thought about learning were sort of clumped around times when I was working on projects. Um, and then I was like, hmm, I, I seem to learn the most through projects. What a what an interesting concept. And then, yeah, I just sort of Google searched learning through projects. 
Um, and then project-based learning came up, and then y'all, you know, the benefits of project-based learning came up, um, you know, increasing student test scores, teacher satisfaction for the job, student motivation, um, decreased dropout rates, decreased attendance rates. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Why is nobody doing it? Um, so then I found a few niche schools uh, in New York uh, that were, and I signed up for the parent tours of these schools, and I was like 16, 17 at the time, and I would go to these parent tours, and they would be like, oh, is it, are, are, are your parents enrolling you in your school? Where are they? And I was like, no, I'm here to learn more about project-based learning, and I would talk to them yeah. about the things I read. And they would find this so novel and so interesting uh, that they would invite me back to the school like the next week um, mm -hmm. after having observed and I would get to ask more specific questions about the things I observed. Um, yeah, and that's what really led to me having this discovery period about project-based learning and seeing it in action and then realizing that teachers uh, were having difficulty staying up to date with what students were working on, maintaining a high quality feedback loop um, and that assessing the project work was much more challenging uh, than a quiz or an essay because those were static objects, whereas uh, a project was much more about the process and the living, breathing mm -hmm. uh, thing rather than the end result. So yeah, I, I designed um, some software that, that basically made it easier for teachers to assess projects and give feedback to students throughout the process. Yeah, it's so funny because I, I'm just realizing that we have a bunch of things in common. So one of them is the fact that, first of all, the, the learning by project insight, it's a great insight. Like when I co-founded my first company, we were doing like these training sessions to, to different companies. And basically because we were starting out, our idea is was we need to get as much clients as possible. So basically anything in the behavioral area, meaning soft skills, we would find a way to build like a course specific for them. And like what would happen was suddenly a client would say, well, we need a course on time management. And suddenly that was a project and all my Google searches, all the books that I was reading, all the YouTube videos that I was, see I was seeing was, was about, were about just time management and trying to understand like how to design a learning experience that was good around it. And, and, and doing that like two, three, four, five times, suddenly realizing, oh, okay, so I'm learning all these soft skills uh, and, but I'm only doing it because I have specific projects that, that create these needs that then I need to, to just uh, go through and, and learn something to fulfill like th that project. And I remember thinking about, well, that's, what's, that's what a school should do, right? You should just let, let kids try to build things. And then as like the, the, the resistance start to pop up, like as, as the obstacles start to pop up, they'll need to understand, oh, okay, so I need to sell something and I don't know how to sell. Maybe I need to go and learn how to sell or how to code or how to do whatever. Because sometimes I, I think that in schools, we, we do this where we teach kids stuff as like, and, and it's, it's almost like the kids are supposed to take that at face value, meaning what I, whatever I'm teaching you is the most important thing. Maybe it's not. Like for, for you, for instance, it was not. Like you wanted to learn how to code. You wanted to learn how to create products. And maybe just understanding like the basics of biology was something that you didn't want to learn uh, about, right? So so I totally get that. And, and it's so funny that another thing that I also believe we have in common is this idea that your product was then uh, like the, the be anything product. The, the focus was to sell to schools. And I actually co-founded also a nonprofit focused on, on helping students to develop these skills. And we, we would also sell to schools. And that was a nightmare. And I know that you, you shared the same experience. Can, can, can you riff a little bit about on, on that? Like why was it so hard to create change in, 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 in these schools? Yeah, I think 
one of the ways I like to think about it as a product person is that the raw materials of product are the conversations you have with users and customers um, and people who, who want to use your product. And um, yeah, if these are the raw materials, like any other business, having, having more raw material is probably the best thing for the output of your business. Um, yeah. And yeah, when it comes to working with public schools, um, and schools in general, it's just that they're, they're extremely restricted with your ability to interact directly with students. They're very restricted with your ability to interact directly uh, with teachers. They're very um, restricted when it comes to interacting directly with the admin. You sort of, one, there's no sense of urgency to get back to you with the feedback that you want, um, nor is there a sense of of like, usually there's like, okay, if I, if I want to get to two of those stakeholders, usually I only have one of them as my primary contact. So I have to jump through that person to get to the other two stakeholders to then, yeah. uh, have no urgency to get the feedback for then that to go for that to go through the stakeholder again, to then get back to me. And it's like, okay, I basically have like a 10th of the access to raw materials, yeah. um, in the form of feedback, um, in context. Yeah. Uh, compared to, um, you know, non-school selling uh, and non-school yeah. product stuff. So that's that's one reason. Um, and then two, it's just, you know, nobody really has their own incentive. It's sort of somebody else has an idea of what somebody else's incentive is, um, and they have the, the purchasing power or they have the power to do something. Um, and it's never their own intention. It's always somebody else's mm -hmm. in interpretation of of somebody else's intention. So yeah, this like misalignment of incentives and intention is just, it, it just causes a lot of problems as well. Um, that just makes things slow, um, and not yeah. quite the right, the right thing. Yeah. 100%. So after that, you ended up just doing a, a lot of different things in the ad tech space. I won't go into, uh, in, in through each one. Uh, but before we talk about prequel, I, I do have to ask you something, which is in, in all these experiences that, that, that you've, that you've done in, in the ad tech world, uh, you come up with this theory that we were talking, I saw some tweets of yours about this, and we were talking about this before recording, uh, that the, the problem with, with education is a distribution problem, right? And I would love for you to explain that idea and, and riff a little bit on, on that. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, what is what is the supply of a school? A supply is a teacher's time or some some person with knowledge um, sort of distributing this knowledge, their time. So it's like, yeah, that's two things. Like the person who's teaching their time um, and then there's the knowledge itself and the, and the content and the curriculum. Um, and then I guess there's like the sort of space uh, to exist within right while, while you consume these things. So, and, and even that's arguably not really the supply of a school. Um, yeah, arguably that's a distribution piece as well. But yeah, basically there, there are these individual teachers and they all have their sort of content knowledge and school is basically a bundle of them where you go to this building and you access a bundle uh, where you have some math and you have some reading and you have some science and you have some history. And some schools might have some additional extracurriculars other than music and other than art. And some of them might have some STEM oriented ones. And it's basically, you go to this one place and you get um, all, of, all of your entire bundle of, of, of learning needs. Um, 
But the problem is that we sort of have individual and diverse needs, um, and the bundle can only sort of meet a lowest common denominator of all of those things, right? Like if we're, we're sort of treating it like a product, we would say, okay, for a minimum viable product, we want to build one thing and we want to make sure it, it works really, really well. And it's just that one thing and that's it. You know, maybe we'll build a second thing. Maybe we'll build a third thing, but we just want to start with one thing. That's, that's how startups work. But, but schools are inherently the opposite of that. It's sort of, let's build a bunch of things. Let's build a bundle of things and let's be, you know, sort of mediocre to terrible at all of them. Um, so anybody that's a sort of pro-consumer of any of these content areas, um, they won't have a very good experience. They could be a casual consumer of these content areas, um, and they might have an okay experience, um, but the ones that want to go above and beyond are simply restricted. Um, and because it's sort of like the, the entire distribution, the entire selling is contingent upon it being a bundle, stepping outside of that bundle would sort of be a bad thing. So, so schools sort of prevent you from stepping outside of that bundle, even if you were to sort of still buy the, the sort of things that you're a casual consumer of that are mediocre, it would be bad for you to step out and buy the great thing somewhere else independently, because that would put the entire bundle at risk. Um, so yeah, that, that's like, I guess, part of the thesis. Um, and then I guess, you know, like any sort of brick and mortar distribution, you know, the best way to get in an advantage is basically to integrate with supply. So, you know, if you think, you know, I'm a record store, I'm a form of distribution for records, you know, pre Spotify, pre streaming services, yeah. or, or even with streaming services, like, or, or I guess iTunes even, it's like, what's my best way to get an advantage? It's the best way for me to get an advantage is like, to get the record a little earlier or to get the record at a cheaper price. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to integrate backwards with my suppliers because my relationship with, with the consumer is finite. Um, so yeah. And then I guess, I guess like the internet sort of flipped that on its head and people realized that these recurring relationships with, with consumers was actually more valuable than the relationship with the supplier. Um, so then they started prioritizing their needs through things like higher quality user experience or, um, yeah, faster delivery or that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I think school hasn't undergone that transformation yet where, you know, the, 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 the relationship with the consumer is prioritized over the relationship with the supplier because of some new yeah. technological innovation. So I, I think... I think we can probably, maybe we can make that happen. I don't know. I, I hope so. Yeah. I, well, I do hope, I do hope too. And, and one of, I think that part of, of that transformation comes from creating these projects that in their root have that kind of thinking. Uh, and I do believe that prequel is one of them. So for everyone listening that doesn't know uh, about prequel, just give us your pitch. Tell us a little bit about how, how does it work? Like what it is? what focuses on go. Yeah. So I guess, um, most parents, um, whose kids were at home, uh, during the pandemic realized that, you know, school sucks. Like it hasn't changed. I mean, they sort of all knew in the back of their minds, but they never really had to see it. It was sort of this like, Oh, we sent our kids off to this sucky thing. We know it sucks. It's fine. Um, but you know, my kids coming back home alive and, and you know, they're not killing themselves and, 
Yeah, it's like, it's like, okay. And then, you know, pandemic happened, now it's sort of sitting in your living room and you sort of have to see your kid miserable, you have to see them distracted, you have to see them not focusing, you have to see them on busy on TikTok while their teacher's sort of blabbering at them on the background in their laptop screen. And then you go, oh, wait a second, and right, I have to face the reality, I need to do something about this. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's why we've seen a lot of decrease in public school enrollment and why, um, yeah, why, why homeschooling is going up and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, put, putting together, you know, your own bundle of educational choices can be, can be quite challenging. Um, there are so many things out there and also at the same time, um, there's still, like, it's really difficult to know exactly which things are right for your kid. Um, and also, you know, if you're not solely focused on academics, it can be difficult to know what a kid should focus on. Um, outside of academics. So yeah, essentially what we want to do is we want to build a piece of software that makes it easier to navigate this, this very difficult landscape. Um, and not one where you sort of have to force the kid to sort of hop onto a marketplace and pick something that's like good enough for them. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I think there's like a different mode of interaction that makes sense. So yeah, we want to design it like a totally new form of marketplace. Um, where you assemble your own education outside of a bundle um, and everything's purchased a la carte. Um, and yeah, it's a sort of one, you know, custom fit uh, for your own education experience. Yeah, so, so guide me through the experience as a student. So you're head of product there. So help me understand. I'm a student, I get into prequel, like I get into your website, like what are some of the next steps? Yeah, so, um, as of now, uh, we sort of have our flagship program, Betacamp. So Betacamp is our entrepreneurship program where we actually have kids start real businesses and we give them some, some expertise and some access to mentors um, and a network of other students to do so uh, within. And yeah, I mean, the, the easiest way to sort of get involved with us as a kid is to join Betacamp and, and, and join an, our entrepreneurship program um, and start to develop that determinism uh, to decide what you need to learn, um, and go do it. Um, yeah. so that's, yeah, that's one way. Um, and other ways we're, we're working on a sort of, um, not really stealth project, uh, but a sort of incubation project called prequel competitions. So we're basically working on a competition for kids to set and achieve their own goals, um, where you win cash by setting the most ambitious goal and then actually achieving it. Um, and if you don't achieve your goal, you have the opportunity to reflect and your reflection gives you a boost in the next round. Mm. Um, so that's another thing that we're working on, um, because our goal is basically to, yeah, we want to, we want to gamify reflection and we don't want to have to tell you what your goal should be. I think your peers mm. can tell you whether they like it or not. Um, mm. and yeah, another thing is like, if we can have these like goals set and the reflections sort of written over time and we could sort of capture these things, we could have a sort of timeline showing how you learn certain things that could be turned into a portfolio or unlock some sort of metacognitive uh, type of behavior or that, or that sort of thing. So um, yeah, we want to we gamify that loop somehow. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's such a great, sorry. That, that, that's such a great idea because usually the, the, the main focus is, well, we need to gamify, like in your example would be, we need to gamify you getting like the big goal. 
right? Uh, and, and maybe you're already doing that. But like the process of, well, let's try to gamify uh, the, the process that comes afterwards you not achieving, like the reflection process, because in, in project-based learning, and, and you know this, of course, uh, like there's, the, uh, there's, there's a moment where you need to reflect upon whatever happens, right? Like you, you build this product or you build this, this project and maybe it's not working the way you want it or maybe it, it actually is. So you need to ask yourself, well, why? Why isn't it working or why is it working, right? And that part usually in almost all the 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 projects that I've I've come in touch with that work in in a project based learning uh, approach do kind of skip that part because if the project is done well then it's done if the project is not done well you can always try another one but like the reflection part doesn't happen so I I, I find it very curious that you guys want to gamify that that that's such an, uh, an interesting concept like. So what if if that if that's okay because I I've realized that this is something you guys are developing now like how does the gamification process work do you do you have that figured out already Yeah so basically um, we're running our first beta test of it in January um, so I'm super super excited for that and yeah we're we're capping it at 15 kids and it seems as if we're going to have that those 15 kids signed up yeah. um, and and basically. Um, the way that it works is a student enters and they can pick their team. Um, so they pick a team with, within this world of, of 15 kids and it can be a maximum of four kids. Um, and yeah, basically, uh, you, you set your own goals, right? So even though you're in a team, you don't have to share the same goals as everybody in your team. You, you just set your own goals. Um, and then, uh, after the sort of goal setting and the team picking period ends, uh, we enter them into qualifying and in qualifying everybody rates each other's goals by level of ambition, mm. including their own. So that's also mm. like a sort of first level of reflection and it also acts as feedback yeah. uh, for, every, for everyone. Um, but it sort of cancels out your own goals. So you can't just, you can't just sort of rate your goal as the most ambitious and everybody else's as like terribly yeah. unambitious. You know, it cancels it out. So, you, yeah. you know, there's no getting around that. Um, and then what we do is we take the average level of ambition for everybody's goals. Um, mm -hmm. And we basically rank them um, and we assign them points. Um, okay. and, and the team that has the most ambitious goal set is sort of at the top of the leaderboard. They have the most ambitious goals. They're highly likely to win, all that sort of thing. But the leaderboard is not where you win. You sort of have to win by achieving the goals. So, yeah. you, you know, it's sort of, I guess, at this point, it represents potential points. Um, and then after you achieve the goal, uh, you know, you get actual points and your actual mm -hmm. points go on the sort of results leaderboard. And at the end, whoever set the most ambitious goal uh, and actually achieved it wins the round. And the ones that set less ambitious goals and achieve them might not. But also you could set like super ambitious goals and not actually achieve them. So you don't get any points for that. Um, yeah. And we wouldn't want to necessarily sort of say, oh, that's a risk, you shouldn't do that. And that's also part of why we have that, uh, that reflection piece reflection. where- Reflection, yeah. Yeah, if you, don't, if you don't achieve your goal, it's not like you've lost everything, you actually learned something. So why don't you tell us what you yeah. learned um, and get a boost in the next round for doing so. Um, and that'll sort of have the benefits for you as a kid, uh, getting to reflect on that and having an incentive to reflect. Um, yeah. and for us, we sort of capture all of these reflections and 
we put them into a portfolio for you. And um, another thing is also um, a lot of what parents really need is a narrative as to why they're doing the right thing for their kids. So mm. um, when you buy uh, a private school or a sort of do homeschooling or an alternative co-op, what you're doing is you're sort of recognizing, you know, this system isn't fitting my kid and I need to sort of buy something that does and I need to sort of create a narrative as to why I'm doing the right thing for my kid. So a lot of what we want to do is, is string together these reflections in a certain way um, and sort of show you that, that sometimes there's a different path for your kid that isn't public school or school um, yeah. and sort of has yeah. that confidence to do. So there's a lot of things we want to do with it. Yeah, let me just ask you one more question, which is why did you, why ambition as the metric to, to evaluate the goals? Um, I, I mean, I guess that's maybe like a personal bias that we have. Mm. Uh, okay. At some point, we do want to branch it off and do sort of verticalize like, oh, there's a design competition, there's a coding yeah, competition, yeah. there's a business competition, there's a creator's competition. Yeah. Um, however, I didn't want to start there because I didn't want to entrench a sort of specific yeah. subject area, even if it yeah. was one that I was passionate about. Because, because I remember, um, you know, I, I basically, at, towards the tail end of high school, they were starting to teach kids to code. And um, I remember it was, I was thinking like, oh, it would have been super valuable for me to learn to code. But I wouldn't want that forced on me because... I think code is sort of the equivalent of, of learning cursive these days. Like there was a time where that was really useful uh, and today it's it's simply not. Um, mm. And code is sort of like the modern equivalent of that where it's like writing code today is super useful, but in the next mm. 20 years, there will probably be a te technological innovation that changes that. Yeah. So we probably shouldn't force that on kids and we should, probably shouldn't entrench it um, that's just like a bad idea. Uh, yeah. So because of that, that, that's also why I'm very big on self-directed learning as a whole. Um, it's not just about what I think kids should learn. It's like, let the kids sort of decide what they should learn because they're, they're the best yeah. that, you know, if you, you know, you can't, you can't predict the future, but you can create it type of thought process. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. The reason was why I was asking is because the, the, the company where I worked with, um, where I worked in, we I, I have worked in a bunch of, of different ad techs as well, but like the last one, we had this product uh, where we would help students to basically design projects and they had like the whole year to just come up with, with the project and implemented it and have a real impact on, on their community. And like one of the things that we did was we gave, like we designed this whole league, this public league where everyone could see, like the parents could see, the students could see, the teachers could see. It was amazing. And we also just tried to like the, the metric was ambition as well. And we uh, found that that was very good for some students that were very, very type A competitive individuals. And it was amazing. Like they would just, like we had all hooligans on, like we did this final event where the, the different teams would just pitch the, their projects. Like they were very ferocious uh, with, with, with their teams and, and all that stuff. Uh, but, but also we realized coming into the, the second year of that project that maybe we should also try to understand what are the metrics we could, we could in, in, uh, just try to well, implement on. One of the things that the program also naturally 
has like this whole competitions thing is that ambition can fail you sometimes. Sometimes you can be over ambitious. So, yeah. you know, setting the most ambitious goal and not actually achieving it. Well, you know, it's like, well, you do get the reflection, you do win something, you know, it's not a matter of just being ambitious. You actually have to execute yeah, yeah, yeah. on it. I think that's, that's part of why, why it is yeah, the no, way no. it is. There will be times yeah, where a kid who is, who is sort of ambitious, but not the most ambitious will win. Uh, and, 100%. Yeah, yeah, like what I was trying to say is that we, we did that because we failed to do that, right? We we had these kids, it's just, it was just primed to, to, to being ambitious and, 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 and that, that, that's it. So, uh, like, just switching off gears a little bit, like the, the, the podcast is called Modern Golden Age Podcast. And uh, I created this podcast because I do believe that we can... We are on the brink of, 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 of a big change in humanity. Now, I've, wrote in, I've, I've written this article about how I believe that high schoolers are, are actually the key to getting us into a modern golden age. Because I do believe that if we play our cards well, if we come up with uh, different companies and non-profits and, and just projects that help students to develop these new skills, eventually they will start to live purpose-led lives. And if we do that in, in a long enough time frame, the way that these kids that today will go through prequel will educate, will educate their sons in a very different way than their parents, right? And that will create like a systemic change finally on, on education that may allow us to get a lot of people just living purpose-led lives and creating this change that, that I call the modern golden age. And so... My question for you would be, first of all, when you, when you listen to that term, like modern golden age, first of all, what comes up? And the second one is, if you had to relate education with whatever comes up, like, how would you do it? Yeah, I guess what comes up for me is I always think about great works, right? Um, you know, when we think of great works, like we think of, we think of the Renaissance, right? Like we think of uh, Michelangelo, Da Vinci, and we, and we say, wow, they must have been geniuses. Um, and, you know, they probably were, uh, but were they any smarter than, than any great artists today? Eh, probably not. Um, they were really just in a time where, where great work was supported, and, and there was a time for that, and, and a culture that really believed in that, um, and pushed for that, and they, they had the ability to discuss these things with other people, and it wasn't sort of a fringe topic that was sort of taboo to do these like great works. Um, so I think there's a sort of ecosystem that happens, and, and great work doesn't happen alone. Um, you need other people doing great work to, to push your thoughts um, and sort of help you see things that you wouldn't have been able to see, and then sort of constantly be immersed by great work. So, you know, I think one of the things I think of um, today is that when I think back to when I first started Be Anything, nobody was really betting on things that were sort of working outside the school system. Nobody was really thinking about um, truly changing the education system and imagining it from the ground up. Um, I was sort of alone during that time, and maybe there were sort of fringe groups of people thinking about it here and there, but it was sort of hard to meet each other and know where to look for those sorts of things. Everybody was sort of doing traditional ed tech. Um, and now that, you know, a, the market dynamic has changed and a lot of people have sort of said, wait a second, we can do something about this. Um, I have a lot more conversations about it on a regular basis and my thoughts get to be pushed. And, you know, now I'm more likely to do great work because, you know, I'm part of a wave 
that's doing it. And hopefully it's not just like a temporary wave. Hopefully it's a real transformational change. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, I think, yeah, right, right now our, our, our education system sort of the way we socialize kids, you know, we sort of socialize them in a way where it's like, oh, if you have an idea that's different, you sort of have to hold it back. Um, you know, sort of being disruptive in class is like, no, 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 this is inconvenient to the teacher, therefore it is bad for everybody. Um, and I, I, this is not, this is not a mentality that's, that's going to serve as well. I think, I think people sort of have to engage in behavior that would be considered antisocial in school, that would be considered bad in school. I think these, this is actually good behavior to be a little disruptive, to sort of propose a different idea, um, to sort of think very outside the box and far out of people's perceptions and not just within what a curriculum prescribes to a teacher to tell you. Um, so I think if, if we can sort of have an age where this is more of the norm, um, yeah, who, who knows what will come up, who knows what contrarian ideas will be discussed on a regular basis that sort of are reserved for special occasions today. Yeah, that, that's a great answer. And I, I know that we don't have that much time. And let me just ask you one more question, which is you, you mentioned like you're right now, you're part of a wave of people that are somehow trying to come up with this idea that may allow for students to actually engage in that kind of behavior and then have these contrarian ideas to be discussed on a regular basis. And my question would be, well, what are some of the practices that we need to do as uh, human beings or as an educator, whatever you prefer, that allow for, because you just mentioned that you're part of this wave and you hope that it's not temporary, right? So what are the things that we need to do in order to make it non-temporary, like in order to make it like definitive? Like what, what's your, your take on that? As educators, I would say remove that label. Um, mm. I think we, we need to view ourselves as learners before we view ourselves as anything else. Um, this sort of separation of the role of this person's a learner or a student and this person's a teacher or a mentor or whatever, you know, I think I like to view those as like, as like, they're not roles that are absolute. They're sort of things that can pop up here and there. Like it, in one environment, I might be a mentor to you. In another environment, you might be a mentor to me. Um, and there shouldn't really be a power dynamic for that, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. So I, I think, yeah. yeah, we should probably treat it as like we're, we're learners and we're just sort of diving into this. And, and we should sort of treat ourselves as equals to these sort of, there are a lot of like Gen Z builder types, um, that are, you know, some of them can't convince their parents to drop out of school. Some of them have dropped out of school and a lot of them are technical already and they're building businesses they're building companies. They're actually building venture backed companies. And it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, and it's like, I, I like to talk to them and treat them as my equals, um, because I'm learning alongside with them. Yeah, 100%. That's, that's a great answer. Uh, a quick question. Do you know uh, Paulo Freire, the, the, the Brazilian educator, you know, this whole theory about the banking theory that he has? Uh, no. 
Yeah, I'll I'll send you the link afterwards because because it's basically exactly what you said. It's just like instead of of, of treating students like uh, teachers being the bank, students being their safe, where the teacher will share this very very uh, special knowledge, and the student the only thing that he needs to do is to basically open the store, uh, get the get the knowledge inside, and close the store, and that's it. It's it's a, where this power dynamic keeps happening. It's basically this idea of looking at his equals and letting the. the according to the context, like the mentor emerges and having more context where the students or the educators or, or basically the students, meaning the younger people will also have the ability to be the mentor, mentors of, of, the, of the older people. And I do think that we are on the right path to, to do that. Brandon, it was such a pleasure. One last question. If people want to... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, usually, actually, like kids genuinely do have the most insightful things to say. You know, they haven't haven't lived life to have ideas sort of molded around them for them, right? By the time we're adults, we have a certain set of ideas and, you know, these are our ways of viewing the world and we're sort of constrained to that. And sometimes we sort of push it in some ways, but, but kids are sort of, they don't have that yet. And they're sort of viewing it for the first time. And a lot of the times that, that new eye on something is, is actually genuinely far superior to yeah, somebody with a lot of knowledge. And I'm saying yeah. for the listening i'm doing with air quotes yeah yeah 100%, like w when we work with, with teachers in in the project that where i'm working on the first thing that we need to do is just to tell them that well like we have this young mentor working with students and we would say to the in the teacher is also present and we we always try to say to the teacher that uh whatever comes up from the students instead of just giving feedback which is usually like critical feedback and say oh that doesn't make any sense that's not a project that's going to happen that's impossible we we ask them specifically to just shut up and be quiet so we can listen to these different ideas of kids because usually like a kid will eventually a kid will pop up with this great idea that's far out from whatever we were looking at, and it's actually far superior than than what what would be uh, expected. So totally agree with you on on that. Um, so beta camp, I actually so sometimes I, I do feedback sessions with kids, um, and I give them feedback on their projects, and I usually just ask them questions. I usually have nothing to say about their companies. Yeah, and I literally yeah. just go, okay, what about this? And they just go. That's it. And I'm like, all right, yeah. all of my values yeah. been given. You, you get nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the difference between being a coach or being a mentor, right? The coach will ask you questions, the mentor will give you suggestions. Uh, and, and I think that we need more projects where kids have access, of course, to mentors, but also when they're building their own projects, instead of just coming up with the solution, just asking questions for the kids to come up with the, the, with the ideas, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. So, Brandon, once again, thank you so much. We're running out of time. One last question. If people want to find you, connect with you, or, 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 or just learn more about Prequel, what are some of the best places they can do so? Yeah, if you want to connect with me directly, um, Twitter's probably the best place, um, at Brandon is a goon. My last name's Goon, and I Brandon is one. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's where you find me on Twitter. And then on Instagram, not Instagram, sorry. Cut that out, um, and then for prequel, you could find prequel at, at joinprequel.com. Perfect, perfect. Well, Brandon, once again, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And to everyone listening, please go follow Brandon on Twitter. Please go follow prequel on their uh, official website and social media as well. And I'll see you all on the next episode. Bye.
and